0: Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste.
1: Good morning, Beverly. How are you this fine day? I'm doing great, Jenny. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. You look so pulled together this morning, like you're ready and raring for your day. I'm wearing PJs, Jenny. <laughs> are you? From here, it looks like you're wearing a, like a sweater. It's very cute. <laughs> well, yeah. you, you PJ better than I normal clothes. I mean, <laughs> I feel like even your pajamas are fancier. i um, <laughs> really pulled together. I love it. Um, so this week, just to go ahead and start us off right, we've got we've got sponsors to talk about. We've got the amazing Sheila O'Kelly at Sheila O'Kelly Designs, bigcartel.com. And uh Sheila will be sending out any of her large circular Lego bags, I mean makeup bags, that she will <laughs> ship anywhere in the world. And these are these are just great little bags and so well made. So we really appreciate Sheila supporting uh this month's challenge, PF Local Fabrics by providing um providing that back as a prize for one of our participants um yeah and really we
0: have one in other addition, prize
1: in addition of course parents- oh, so- you go you do it
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have one other prize and that is um provided by actually Punk Frockers is is purchasing this prize from uh, Terrence Williams. We're trying to help him reach his goal of selling enough headbands to buy a new sewing machine. And so we are going to be sending out a um, headband anywhere in the world. Terrence ships everywhere. So if you we have already had some folks purchase the headbands and we send out um, what are we sending out a label
1: pack to them, Jenny? Yeah, we're sending out a, a pack of labels to them yeah absolutely punk frockers yep so um, Um, so that'll be amazing terrence is getting real close to that goal as i understand it like uh, we're really closing in on it so if we can get him there that'll be amazing amazing that's awesome Um, yeah and then let's I guess it's time to, to do a little bit of catch up. I'm going to go first because I have the least to say about it. I am exclusively sewing things that I can't talk about on the program right now. And I feel really terrible about it. And I have this really great friend who holds me accountable to things like that and has suggested to me that perhaps, just perhaps, I should consider raising my limit on what I'll sew to things that I can talk about on the program. And that feels really hard and weird for me because for so long, I've sewn stuff that mostly falls in the in-between above what we used to have as our guideline, 55 inches, 56 inches, whatever it was. And between that and 60, because that's where kind of the sweet spot for where companies have landed for a huge number of patterns coming out in that range. And so I could safely talk about almost anything made. And even though I knew a lot of them didn't come up to my body size, personally, I still could sew them successfully and speak about them. And now that's just not allowed. And so I have found a pattern that I really, really love for overalls, and it does not meet our size guideline. And we're still, when I contacted the um, designer, they have no intention of increasing the sizing on that, according to them. And that's really disappointing. But it means I've gone out and I've looked for what my next my next overall is going to be because I want one I can talk about. And um, I believe the winner is True Bias's Riley because this pattern comes up large enough. It's a 60 or greater greater hip for its max size measurement. And it is the same design style as the overall I've been using. I just purchased that pattern from True Bias. While I was at it, I went ahead and purchased a number of the the kits they offer for those cute overall closures, because oh, the nice. kind I'm making right now, are designed with a button in mind. Uh-huh. And the Riley's are specifically designed with the idea of, like, that that commercial yeah. <laughs> overall well, you know, closure, the, the little metal yeah. cookie thingy. <laughs> well, you know what I like about those is that you can adjust them. Yes, absolutely several of my other pair of overalls I put double buttons on that way I can make choices about how I want them to fit right but this is even better um although also to me scarier like it feels like a more complicated way to close a thing but I'm excited by it so I'm gonna get to step out of my comfort zone with putting on a strap that's adjustable and attaching all that weird jean button metal hardware and stuff and I'm super excited um if you uh yeah. If you're looking for something similar to one of those popular patterns that ran through the internet community a couple of years ago, the True Bias Riley um, would be a really good equivalent for, yeah. for this, but that's more size inclusive. So I'm really, really excited. And as always, um, thank you, but with a little bit of an eye roll for uh, Beverly holding me to account for for doing better with that. So, so thank you. Then an eye roll. Okay. And what have, <laughs> what have you been up to so far this year? Um,
0: well, my first make of the year, it's interesting because I have these, um, TNT patterns that I've done for a long time. And so this morning I was looking at like, you know, what I was going to talk about today and I was nervous. Uh Uh-oh, I better go check and make sure that this pattern actually falls in our new, in our new range, which thank goodness it does. It's the Soho Seven Free Range slacks. <laughs> I make them all the time, and um, and so I'm really happy they go up to the sixty. They go up to a 65 inch hip. Um, I made that using the leftover um, blue and purple, purple gingham linen from Merchant and Mills. Um, that linen came to me all the way from England, but it still qualifies as PF local fabric because it is a you know, a small business, yeah. and it's local to our friends in England. And so I was happy, um, to be able to, to do that. And it's perfect. It's, this, it, uh, it's their kind of more heavier weight linen. Uh, I think they call it winter hymn is the name of the colorway, I guess. Um, but it's not the lighter weight linen. It's, it's, it's right. nice, feels good for, for, um, for pants. And then, um, Anyway, so love that. The next thing I've done is kind of gone down a new little path here. I made, <laughs> I think I mentioned last time that my brother and I give each other Christmas gifts, give our own yeah. Christmas gifts from each other, right? So my brother gave me for Christmas this full maker kit from Clum House for this Fremont bag. And it is, Jenny, look up here.
1: It's gorgeous.
0: It, it's gorgeous. It is made with its. They send so this full maker kit. I bought the one that's um like seconds, right? So there's something wrong with it. But yeah, I I defy you to find what's wrong with it. Like I can't, I can't figure <laughs> out what's wrong with it. I think maybe it was cut a little bit short on one of the seams. So like the, but it still fit in the seam allowance. You know what it was? Yeah. Off. But um, I think. I, it's totally worth the extra 35 bucks to buy the, um, the, to not, not spend the 35 bucks and get right the seconds. Anyway, it is beautiful. It's, um, the fabric is waxed canvas and then inside is just like a plain canvas and it has a bunch of these little rivets and on the, and there's a, there's a pull for the, for the zipper that's leather. Wow. And look at on the inside, the rivets. They have little leather circles around them to, like, protect them, and it's just amazing. I'm so excited about it, and the pattern is so simple. I've already decided when I go to New York, I think I'm going to buy some leather and make this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm kind of intimidated
1: by that idea, but I think it would be gorgeous. I was thinking... That we should go to New York together in June. So just put a pin in that for a later conversation. Okay. okay. Um, that is exciting. I actually bought two kits from Clean House, but neither for a bag. Okay. I bought their little card wallet, which has arrived. Okay. And I bought it as a second. And then I purchased the large leather wallet that you had talked about last time. Yeah. As a second as well, which has arrived. But I haven't taken the time to make it yet it's sitting here being intimidating is what it's doing right now but it's on my list for this weekend it's simple and it will take a bear that well it took me like a half
0: an hour I mean it's really quick it's just
1: really yeah I'm very excited by it and I'm I'm very interested they have a crossbody bag that comes in the seconds kit as well that's sort of a circular well, a columnar bag that mm-hmm. that you can wear crossbody that I'm also very interested in, but did not order. I, I chickened out at the last minute. And so um, I may go back and look at that as well.
0: So one thing I'm curious about, I have this, they ha- they have extended the length of the the leather straps that are included for crossbody. So they fit more body sizes. So you trim right. it down to what you, but I don't even know if the size that they have is an inclusive size
2: because yeah, I don't, I don't know what
0: people's cross body distances are um but I thought that was kind of an interesting thing I still have to take a little bit off of mine because it's fallen a little low on the hip but I think these bag making is pretty fun so and that also That's qualifies awesome. in my mind that also qualifies for pf local fabric because it's a small company and there was fabric in it
1: um so I'm going to I'm going to count it I think that's amazing. I love it. And I know you noted there was some community news that Closet has started a subscription service. Yeah. So that, yeah. Sort of like what Cashmerette's done and everything comes up to a 61. So the so they're definitely inclusive for our purposes. Um, and it's it's an interesting idea, just like with Cashmerettes. I think it's a really interesting idea.
0: Yeah, I... I like the idea. I was like immediately going to go get my subscription because I love closet core patterns. Um, and it comes with, you know, like if you buy a year in advance, you get all these other little things, whatever there's. And I, I believe, um, so someone on Instagram who follows our program string thing, I did ask her permission before, um, mentioning her on air about this right. has, um, talked about, they had a different perspective on it than I did. Okay. So they thought it was, um, kind of like, um, like a a elite separation in the community. Like you are a member of the club and also like that. Um, right. It's gives this sense of false sense of scarcity so that you have to have this pattern ahead of time or whatever. And uh, I thought that was an interesting perspective on it. I think that, um, in my view of it, I see it as the pattern designers, a lot of times, they don't have a guaranteed number of sales from these things. And um I think it's hard for them to make money. And so they want this as kind of like a a, sup- a subscription gives them a guaranteed income.
1: Right, right, right. I don't know. What do you think about these things? I so um I'm obviously I was uh, one of the The membership to Cashmerette's Club was gifted to me um, prior to when they started their very first year of it. Um, And I know that there's been conversation that I've seen as some of the Cashmerette patterns come out about whether or not those would ever be available to others. And... Um, this feeling that there were some really high quality patterns and some really great training opportunities, which it seems like is exactly what Closet Core is doing here. And sort of a feeling of being left out if it was something you, you couldn't afford to do or opted not to afford to do. And so I, I can see some portion of that, but I think in terms of as a business choice, I think you're correct that what it builds in for, for these folks, it's sort of like the Patreons, which you don't yeah. to complain about typically, right? Because Mona sure. and Broad offer a Patreon that offers free adjustments to existing patterns, but also free patterns that are only available through, um, subscription to them, to the Patreon, which also includes coaching conversations and other sorts of training and an individual community and all these other things. And I don't. I don't think people complain about it on a Patreon basis, but for some reason here as a subscription thing, it feels more excluding. And I get that. I, I agree that it does feel more that way for some reason, but I think it's overall, it's a positive thing because it gives designers a way to be predictable about what they're outputting and what they'll get compensated for that output. Because I think that is the scary part as someone who's been designing garments and does not choose to release them as patterns it's in part because I just, I can't see the market being there predictably enough to put the effort in to all the things you have to do to market a pattern. So I I, I think it's going to add things to the community overall, but I, yeah. Yeah, but I can understand the, the feeling left out because there are definitely ones of these I won't belong to. And there will be moments when something like speeds through the community. And I think, oh my gosh, that's a hundred percent something I want.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, it's interesting too cuz I was a member of seamwork for a couple of years and um I I I left the seamwork one um because I was not I don't know, I wasn't finding many patterns that I wanted to but to um uh, to do. The good thing with seamwork I got to say though is after the first month you can buy a seamwork pattern even if you're not a member. Right. Which I, right. I kind of like that idea. Um so that you could just buy the one if you wanted to. Um, but it still gave you an advantage if you were a member because you got it first and you also got, um, you know, there's a lot of things associated with the membership that aren't there. So I, I wonder what other folks think about that. Um, I was really excited about that, but when, when she said that, I thought, oh, I can see why somebody thinks that. And not everybody is like me and can afford whatever subscription they want in for patterns.
1: Absolutely. And it's also, it's such an unknown when you're paying in advance, as yeah. you might do for that additional discount, whether or not things really are going to come out that are appealing to you. Because no matter whether it's Cashmere or Closet Core or a completely different company, um, it's, it's an unusual company where I think, you know, all the things that you've produced, yeah. even 75% of them. Yeah. Are definitely my vibe. I am far more likely to be like, picky choosy. When I look at closet core, I've bought a couple of patterns. Yeah. When I look at cashmere, of course I own most of them, but I consistently have made, I've made more than once a handful of patterns. Right. And so there's also a thing you're committing to there that may or may not really result in, um, in as many possible garments as you're thinking it could. Right.
0: Well, And that's totally true for me because actually I have the cashmere. I I, you somehow convinced me to get that like (laughs) you didn't mean to you just like talked it up and so I had to get it and so I bought like a years of it and I haven't made one single pattern from it since I did that so it's like it's not necessary but I don't mind I'm I'm happy to support cashmere and I can afford it but um but it's but yeah that
1: that's the thing right is is that you don't know what's what's going to end up happening out of that but to me that's this is a more expensive version of it but it's like buying the magazine subscription for any of the the magazines fiber mood or if you were to buy an annual you know sort of a thing you're you're looking at it and it's like okay so this is interesting but it may may turn out there actually isn't anything there for me that from the moment that I purchase it I'm really supporting an enterprise that I believe in but I may or may not end up with actionable patterns <laughs> and so
0: That definitely happened with me with the taco magazine. It's very expensive to buy a year of taco magazine and it's, um, and I didn't make that many patterns because, um, it used to be that you had to trace them. You still, if you get their paper one, which is the least expensive of their magazine, you still have to trace it. The digital option is actually in addition to paper. So you buy it and it's like it's 33 euros for one magazine. And at least with the digital, it'd be easier to to print the pattern out and you know use it yeah. rather than trace it. but I'm not I, I definitely didn't make as many I don't know it's a it's an interesting concept
1: it, it really is it comes down in, in sort of a weird space for me because to me, these clubs feel like the equivalent is a subscription service in the same way that. Yeah like a magazine subscription in the same way that to me, the Patreons that you can follow for designers feel like a subscription oriented yeah. thing. And, um, I think that, I, I think that there's value in things like that, but there also almost has to be an acknowledgement that the odds are pretty good. Not everything that you see will be for you. Right. And that's just a, a a true thing. And if you can afford it and it's a, company or set of projects you want to support, absolutely dive in, have a blast. The other thing is those communities can be really, really helpful and engaging for some people. But for me, I struggle enough to try and keep up with the people I know in real life yeah. and the p- the people that I experience on Instagram without adding four more places I have to log in and try and find community. And so the community aspect, which I think is a real draw for a lot of people, is not a draw for me. Yeah, yeah, me neither. As you might imagine, so, yeah, I mean it, it. It isn't for everybody. Yeah, um, but I'm excited to see Closet Core do this. Even though, yeah. as I say, I'm I'm actually the Blanca flight suit is the pattern of Closet Cores that I've been the most excited about it for all time. Mm-hmm. And I still have never cut one out for myself. And I've got it. I finally cut the pattern out for me. And it's sitting on top of some butterfly Ankara that I think I want to make it out of because it's really bold and I think it would be super exciting. And if it doesn't work, I'm still going to be excited that I got to sew with that fabric. <laughs> <laughs> <It> sounds <laughs> so dumb. But I bought like 15 yards of it. So I oh, can wow. totally commit some to this garment and still know it'll yeah. be okay. Um, so I, I don't know. It's I think it's an interesting concept. Okay. You want to talk about some new patterns? I do. And the new patterns that I focused on were, um, at least some of them, largely from places that I have not bought a lot of patterns from. So they're not ones that are designers that I regularly talk about. The very first one um i actually went out and did a google search on new patterns january and looked for what i could find and some one of the pairs that came up was these the paradise patterns protea pants which go up to a 61 inch hip and as always i'm going to let the designer describe it because i'm very bad at describing clothing um, it's a modern trouser with chic Front pleats, sweeping pant legs like these are, sweeping, and a curved waistband, and offers two ways to do the waistband. Um, One is a top-stitched version, and the other is a heavier weight if you want a more traditional trouser waistband. Um, View A has the pleats. View B has a flat front. And uh, both views do have darts at the back for shaping. So these are not elastic waist; these are traditional trousers with belt loops and everything. And they just look to me like a really neat, snazzy trouser. And yes. I think I like it better without the pleat because I'm not a big pleat person for pants. Yeah. But I think the the wider legs on them is really appealing to me. Yeah. In in both instances, so I just thought those were were kind of neat. The picture that they
0: have there, I don't know. It reminds me like Diane Keaton
1: or something, right? It like, does, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. You could put on a jaunty hat, maybe a vest with your button down. <laughs> It'd be awesome. Awesome. I like those <laughs> pants.
0: I like them. I, You know, I, I like those and I've made a couple of wide leg, full length pants and I don't wear them often because they feel somehow when they're wide leg, long pants, it feels fancy to me. Oh, yeah, I can see
1: that. Yeah. I think you could change the fabric up and make them feel less fancy. So mm-hmm. like a dark gray chambray might unfancify mm-hmm. these, but, but I understand what you mean for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, I did also like that they're considered an intermediate level, which isn't surprising with the, the fly yeah. and the belt loops and et cetera. But, sure. but it's neat to call out those patterns that have maybe a little bit more, um, finesse required in order to make them. Yeah so um, this is what so
0: you have i i've never heard of this company tammy handmade
1: right and it's a mila jumper it's 60 inch hip size chart so it, it the size chart this does not come down to your hips but it meets the qualification as a size chart yeah and they do have other garments that they offer and it's a it's, a, it's called the Mila Jumper. It's got dolman drop sleeves that are wider at the shoulder and taper at the wrist. So sort of the definition of dolman. But yeah. I appreciate that that's included in the description because I think sometimes we forget that not everybody knows all the words. Yeah. And in this case, um, the the dolman is stitched on. Um, and then uh, it's just a pull over the head sort of garment that's great for beginning sewists. It looks like it would be a super quick, a super yeah. quick sew. Um, looks to me like it's got a um probably it's got a bias band there at the neckline but it could yes. be a sh- very short ribbed one That's um, true. and it notes that it'd be easy to hack cropped or longer and I would of course crop it I think I'd take take it to maybe two inches below the armpit length and have it be a very cropped top for overdresses and things but I I liked this one this is one I'm likely to buy and I would of course make it longer yeah I mean naturally um <laughs>
0: Okay, this next one I'm excited about. Um, so did you know that, so this is the Birgitta Helmerson bell jacket. You know, this is zero waste, right? hmm
1: Yeah. I do.
0: Yeah. So it's a max 60 inch hip. It's an oversized jacket with a rounded collar, full button closure, three front patch pockets, an inverted box pleat, the center back neck, wide sleeves that are perfect for fitting all your winter layers underneath. The bell jacket gets its name from the bell shaped sleeve created with several darts sewn into the hem of the sleeve. Uh, the jacket is fully lined. Fully lined, all these features and zero waste. How is this possible?
1: I I really have nothing on how it can possibly be possible, but it probably explains why there are three pockets. Yeah. Is the, right. the, the zero waste <laughs> nature of it. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was really cute. And I love the call out for the shaping on the sleeve coming from darts yes um, and of course fully lining that makes those darts easier to manage as the shaping because you don't have to put a cuff on it or oh, even a right. facing on the interior right you can fully line it and um i assume top stitch there although it's not shown in the illustration it may just be understitched which yeah. would also be a super valid way of doing that but i i liked it i thought it was a really neat look um it took me a while to find the sizing on it. Um, in a way that was helpful because with the zero waste, there are usually for, especially for Brigitte, um there are some definitions about the width of the fabric being used and what, what's the biggest size you could make if this was the size of your fabric, for example. Yes. So it's sort of backward engineered to determine the sizing of the garment. And it took me a little while to find out what the, what the expectation on this one was. Um, but I but I like that. Um, I do always in my brain think, oh, zero waste just means anybody could make it any size. But of course, that's not true. It's not that it can't be made in other sizes. It's that if you're trying to zero waste it off of fabric, yes. you're still stuck with traditional widths of fabric and other things like that that can have an impact. Although I think that's because most designers don't think about turning their fabric sideways. <laughs> and the fact that your fabric can be as long as a bolt. So yeah, <laughs> 15 yards for a traditional bolt. But um, all of those are sort of side points, but it's a cute, cute little jacket. Um, yeah. I thought you would like it. I was pretty sure this was one where you'd be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's really
0: cool. I like it. So the next one I added in just because yeah. I saw this and I love it. Um, so this is called the Xanthe woven dress from Style Arc. It starts with an X. If you're looking it up, it's not the Z. Um, it goes up to a 70 inch hip, which we're happy about with all the new Style Arc patterns. Mm-hmm. And in true Style Arc form, here's their description of it. A-line dress featuring tucks, long sleeves, V-neck and collar. i feel like all of those things are true those are all true but there's not a lot of there's not a lot
1: of fluff in their
0: description um i think i think i'll love that dress
1: um i think you will too it reminds me of one of the adjustments that the hinterlands class taught you of course and the tucks appear to be the way that the shaping is created on the front of the dress yeah I think it is so I think it
0: looks so cool and it looks like it will end up being a very comfortable dress. Yeah. Um so the tucks are um just in the front and not in the back and there the it ends up having a pretty um full skirt on it because of these tucks you have your choice of elbow length sleeves um or long sleeves with a cuff at the end that's kind of more of a bell-shaped um or what bishop i don't know what they call that um sleeve and then um there's a there the the v-neck uh, like they said, a V-neck and a collar. Um, it looks like a camp collar, not a full stand collar, but I could right. be wrong. Hard to tell on that. And then um, they also have different knee lengths. Of course, you can always do that. Um, one warning f- that Jenny always says, uh, Style Arc, the folks that design for them have very long arms. So check where your pocket placement is. Yes, consider pocket
1: pocket placement carefully before committing because-, <laughs> because sometimes you have to bend in order to put your hands in the pockets.
0: <laughs> but it is a um, considered a medium to challenging dress probably for those tucks.
1: I think it is because the tucks even like even for me I'm a I'm a very confident sewist which I always undercut myself when I talk about that but I'm a very confident sewist. However, when you're looking at those tucks, you've got a series of what looks like five tucks that are parallel to each other on either side of the front bodice, yeah. and having those be parallel, having the evenness of those experience exactly how they want to be is going to be a little more challenging. Even for me, it would probably involve some form of, I don't know, marking the fabric as an example. <laughs> um, although I might be like super duper duper lazy and consider using a check fabric on this so that I could cheat <laughs> it by knowing on grain line how it, how it should fold together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's cute. I'd almost certainly make um, knee length or just above knee length with the um, elbow length sleeve rather than long gathered sleeve um but it is it is a cute dress I I like this one and it might be a collar that didn't make me angry I hate collars I mean but this one looks like it might not be annoying
0: yeah it doesn't look (laughs) annoying at all and there's no like button up in the front you know collar there so that's cool
1: that's cool no I'm loving it I think it's super cute I think the challenge for making this out of the checks would be that you'd have to you'd have to match as you go down that front seam because the front does appear to be cut not surprisingly for a V-neck as two separate pieces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very cute. But what we've really got going on for today is while we're doing our um, basically month of shouting out local fabric stores, we thought it might be nice to talk to a local fabric shop owner. And uh, obviously, I picked one of my favorite local fabric shops, which is Seams Fabric. And uh, I'm going to we're going to cut away now so that I can play the recording of my wonderful conversation with Jesse, which we hope you all enjoy. All right, guys, we've got a special treat for you this morning, um, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Please tell us who you are and uh, where we can find you on the social media stuff.
2: Absolutely. Um, Hi, Punk Rockers. I'm Jesse Gregg. I own Seams Fabric Store, which is a fabric sewing notions, patterns, and classes. Um, we're in East Lansing, Michigan. We're also on the web at seamsfabric.com. That's S-E-A-M-S, like a sewing seam. But we, you know, I, I feel like the sewing community is so good on their puns. So, you know, we can't <laughs> let that can't, can't let that opportunity go by. Um, and we're also on, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at at Seamsfabric. That's wonderful.
1: That's wonderful. And of course, I've asked you to come on and chat with us today because our theme this month is local fabric shops. And that's local to you, whatever's in your area, but it's also local to anyone, essentially not big box.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think um, what is a local fabric store? Maybe local is not the right hashtag any longer, Um, we've found that we've got people that feel a very strong attachment to us who are not in our local area. They've, you know, met us on probably through our social media. And then, um, you know, we will do, um, I've even done like video shopping calls with people. (laughs) um, That's an option? I didn't know. Yes, yeah, you can um you can call me through Facebook Messenger and I'll walk you through the store and kind of help you shop. So, um we really do have a personal connection with people all over. Um obviously we would love to see those people walk through the door to our shop, but Jenny, I mean, you're quite far away from us and we all um when we see your orders come through you know it's like oh what's Jenny's doing with this you know so uh, you know we, we get a personal connection to our customers as well so maybe small fabric stores maybe a little bit better um independent fabric store maybe um but yeah we uh we really enjoy that personal connection with our customers.
1: That's really wonderful. This past year I've spent in 2022, I specifically focused on moving my buys away from fabric.com, which RIP, um, and, and Joanne fabrics, because I wanted to focus more on smaller, more independent businesses. Even though in my local area, there aren't particularly many, um, garment focused fabric stores. There are quite a few quilt shops, some yes. of which have even as many as 10 fabrics that are <laughs> garment-based in them,
2: but there, there isn't I much know.
1: more here. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that evolution happened, um, but in America right now, when you say fabric store, you are almost invariably talking about a quilt store, which is a very specific type of poplin weight cotton, which is okay, frankly, for garment sewing. It behaves really well. It's a good um, entry-level fabric, I guess, for people who want something that kind of like isn't going to shift under the needle, isn't going to scooch around when they're trying to cut it out. Um, but when you, you know, especially like tops, bottoms I feel like are fine and dresses are fine. Tops are kind of stiff. Um, yeah. It doesn't, you know, it's got a lot of, there's a, so much great surface design happening in quilt poplin right now. Oh my gosh, um, so much. <laughs> there's so much. I mean, you can really just like any aesthetic that you have, you can find a designer that matches your, you know, your desires. However, it's only going to be on that quote poplin, so um, that's kind of a frustrating reality. I would say as a shop owner, especially if you're focusing on garment fabric, your supply chain looks very different from a quilt shop supply chain. We order from, we order from mills. We order we direct import. We order from right. um, converters that are buying from mills, and then. Um, distribute our marketing to designers and manufacturers. We do order from the regular quilt shop vendors. We've got Moda in the store. We've got um, Kaufman in the store. Kaufman's actually a great hybrid. Um, we have a lot of Robert Kaufman fabric. They have some really lovely linen blends um, in their catalog. They support garment fabric a lot more than some of yeah. the other quilt retailers. Um, I guess what I think is a positive trend in garment sewing is I'm seeing other substrates enter those categories. Yep. We're seeing rayon lawn. Um, we're seeing canvas um, lightweight canvases in the quilt shop catalog. So I think they're kind of um, noticing that there's a trend that, that there's an uptrend in home sewing. So I'm really hoping that we could and then I guess the other, the other problem problem, I don't want to say there's a problem with quilt poplin because obviously it does what it does very well. But for garment sewing, the scale of the print is often not quite right. Um, so when we're wearing a shirt, we don't want to have kind of like, you either want like a tiny calico or a big, bold statement print. And a lot of the quilt poplins are kind of in between. They're quilt-sized prints, basically. Yeah. And they don't translate into garments very well. So um, and I'd love to see cotton lawn in some of those um, patterns i'd love to see um you know some bottom weights oh god like printed twill would be amazing um you know so i'm hoping i'm i'm really hoping that this trend kind of i know that they're seeing it because i've i see rayon in the catalogs i'm just hoping that it it goes further than that as well um i found that as i'm i'm sort of looking for some
1: wholesale sources for some um sort of a retail dressmaking business that I'm working on and I I'm loving right now uh, cloud nine is a, a location that I'm finding things yes. I really like from including um, uh, bark cloth and yeah. other sort of textured, which is a favorite of mine is if I yeah. can get it in a texture, I like a, a stretch cotton sateen and things like that. And I am excited to see how many quilt fabric sources are starting to have these other possibilities
2: yep they're creeping in so i think that's a really good trend um for us garment sewers i really hope to see that continue um we're also seeing more and i'm like you can t- probably tell from my shirt that i'm wearing i am a just an absolute sucker for yarn dyed patterns stripes yep. plaids like give it to me. So (laughs) um, I love like the cotton. um, I love the Ruby star um, wovens section Mm -hmm. that they've been coming out with lately. Some just really lovely stripes. And even though it's technically kind of a poplin weight, when it's woven instead of printed, the drape is really different and you can get away with it in a lot of different um, things. So like um, Kate Fassett has a nice stripes collection. I love his shot cottons. Um, We're just seeing We're seeing some nice um, manufacturing possibilities, I guess, in the yarn dyed sections of things as well. So, um, and that's not new. They've been there for a while, but it's really lovely to see people using them in garment sewing as well.
1: Yeah. The other place that I feel like um, garment-focused fabric stores really excel is in the knits, which the big box stores, um, particularly looking at Joanne, I have yes. not found the quality to be there for what I'm looking for, for a knit. It's often irregularly shrinking. And when you stretch it, you can really see the white substrate instead yeah. of um, not seeing that. And I guess yes. for me, as someone who likes close fitted garments in my knits, that's, that's a problem. Like it, it's not, yeah. I'm not presenting the way I'd like to generally, if I'm
2: using a big box Uh, Yeah. We've seen a difference between, so there's kind of a couple different ways. We can get like, if you, Jenny, if you want to like really nerd out about fabric with me, we can get really granular about this. But I mean, let's uh, nerd out. Our listeners
1: never get to hear that because (laughs) Beverly and I do not purport to be experts on any of this, but it's, but it's interesting because as a, as a person who sews, not a person who excels at understanding the technical part of it I can look at a fabric and go like garbage flannel right although I do still really hold to the idea that all flannel is garbage flannel because it's the nature of the fabric like it's intended that is not
2: true I love flannel (laughs) I love flannel we were laughing so I got um I don't know how I'm on all of these catalog lists. I just don't buy that much stuff mail order. I think it was the holiday <laughs> season. I got all of these catalogs and there was this, um, there was a new word that was used to describe like a shirtweight jacket and people were calling it a shacket, which to me, like, I don't know, it just sounded a little like bathroomy to me. So yeah, we were laughing great. about this in the <laughs> store and we decided that the a better word for it is a flannel cardigan or a flardigan. So like flardigan <laughs> is kind of one of our like, staff in jokes and like if you know things get like gloomy in the store somebody will just start talking about flartigans but we've got some some just amazing heavyweight like nice um just luscious flannels um so i i don't yeah don't don't write off flannel just yet maybe maybe it's because i'm in a more northern climate than you to (laughs) be fair i i
1: enjoy working with flannel It is all garbage, but it doesn't mean I don't like the result. And for most flannels, because they're garbage, they just get better when you wash them. And so when you pre-wash, you get that little bit more full, the denser, all of those things. But the nature of flannel is that you don't have that off the bolt when you're touching it. Even with your thick and luscious flannel on the bolt, you don't actually have even an approximation from my experience of what it will be like once you have washed and dried it. And yeah. so for me, the garbage refers to the part where, <laughs> where it's, it's unpredictable and will definitely fill my entire dryer filter when I wash and dry. Oh it.
2: yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, uh, the first time you, like some of the heavier weight linens too, the first time you wash them, oh, yeah. it's almost like you have to stop it halfway through and and, and like, clean, clean out your it out. Top. Yeah. Your like, trap is, is just destroyed for yeah, sure. Yeah. So that actually, you know, Jenny, that's a really important, um, kind of point to make in terms of local fabric stores so like one of the things I mean people always say you know um I get people in all the time that are like oh I just can't shop for fabric online I need to touch it first but what you get in a local fabric store is not just touching the fabric but we take it home we wash it we sew it into a pattern you have samples in the store that Mm -hmm. you can see not only how the actual pattern um, sews up, but also what that fabric behaves like when it's washed. So we have like, like double gauze, double and triple gauze is really having a moment right now. Everybody just really yeah. loves this kind of like, just, I don't know, it's a really tactile fabric. On the bolt, it just looks like cotton sheeting. There's just nothing to it until you wash it and it blooms you know, denims also like, you know, a fresh crisp denim right out of the mill on the bowl. It frankly feels kind of meh, like it feels really stiff and there's no, um, you know, you don't really have a sense of what the hand of that fabric is going to be after it's washed and worn. And so, um, chances are, so I've got, five people that work in my, in my shop, kind of everybody has their day. So depending on what day you come in, you'll see a different staff person. We all have wardrobes that are full of the fabrics that we sell because we sell fabrics because we love it. So, you know, when you come in and you're, you know, uh, handling fabrics, we can say, Oh, when you wash that one, you know, it gets kind of a crinkled slub texture, like here, you know, let me show you this sample, just stuff that you're not going to get from shopping online Um, I'm, you know, obviously like, it seems sort of silly to say it, but I'm a fabric professional. I like professionally buy and sell fabric. You can tell me that a fabric is six ounces per yard or three ounces per yard. And I, I intellectually know what that is. (laughs) And I've got some references for it. Like a heavy denim is like 11 or 12 ounces. Yeah. My Batiste's are like two ounces, cotton poplin comes in around four and a half, but even even knowing that and having a lot more Mm -hmm. context than a regular person I'm surprised when I buy fabric you know um I buy you know bolts of it so sometimes that's not great when I'm surprised (laughs) (laughs) no but but I feel that I mean that
1: that's definitely my experience and I do have a really clear idea of what kinds of weights I like and why and yet sometimes they'll still show up and I'm like well damn it (laughs) Yeah. Did they just weave yep. that extra tight or something? <laughs> I mean, and it can yes. be a little confusing and off-putting when you when you get it in. And certainly my daughter has borne the brunt of those decisions because sometimes it shows up and I'm like, Yeah, no. Um, looks like she just got herself a boulder eight yards. I mean, she's very petite, and so the the amount I'm buying for myself, she could make a wedding gown. It's, you know, probably wouldn't because it's probably something really out there. <laughs> yeah. And yes. we don't have the same taste, but it's, you know, she ends up with a lot of sort of discards that the the information on the website just didn't give me quite enough to know yep. what I was And it's hard.
2: Way. Yeah. Um so we put as much description in as we can, um, but still, you know, it's it's there's just a part of it that you can't get unless you're actually feeling the fabric. And then even then sometimes it's knowing what you're gonna end up with after it comes through the wash, yeah. after it's worn a couple of times. It's really nice to talk to people that have that experience of the fabric and can kind of talk you through what it's gonna how it's gonna evolve, you know, fabric evolves. Yeah.
1: So what what are the best parts of owning a small fabric shop, an independent fabric shop?
2: Yeah. So we get um one of we're a really so we focus on on wearable everyday clothing we don't do a lot of special occasion fabrics we have high-end everyday clothing like we've got some really luscious like we've got the silk noils and some things like that you're not going to come to us for bridal fabric so we get a lot of people that walk in the door and say you know i can't find clothes that fit me um i don't feel supported by the garment industry i want to sell my own clothes so taking that person that's had a disappointing experience of themselves, like when you put on clothes that don't and don't fit you and don't make you feel good, you take it really personally. (laughs) For some reason, we assume that the problem is us. The problem is never you. The problem is the clothes. So taking that person that's had this kind of, you know, frankly degrading experience of not finding clothes that fit them, getting them through a series of classes so that they can have a garment that is their style, their taste, they have pride in the making of it, they have pride in the wearing of it. And then just seeing that person bloom with like pride, and then also just like style that they feel supported in their own style, knowing that they can do that is just such a magical moment. Um, so th- I mean, those are the things that I I really that really light me up is those, you know, when that person puts on their first project and realizes that they've created a garment you know, completely from scratch. Those are pretty magical moments.
1: That's really cool. It does make me wonder. I'd never even thought about it. Do you, do you sell sewing machines? And if not, why not?
2: And if so, why so? <laughs> so we do have, this is a very interesting story, Jenny. Um, this is not <laughs> super public yet, but seems this is working on opening a second location um, <gasps> partially so that in we North can in North Carolina. Be a, Uh, no (laughs) no unfortunately um that would be a little bit too much of a commute for me we're looking about an hour away um so it would be in Kalamazoo Michigan but partially that's so that we can um become a Bernina dealer so that we can sell um higher end sewing machines we sell Everstones right now which is one of the brands that you can sell without a dealership um it's just kind of an unfortunate reality in sewing that the sturdier higher end machines are all attached to dealerships and you have to have this exclusive um, agreement so we've had to move out of our area in order to get into um, selling sewing machines but we hopefully april may-ish will be open in kalamazoo as a bernina dealer that's really exciting yeah, it's really neat. It's um, not, I, it's, I'm, I'm almost a little bit afraid <laughs> to talk about it. I don't want to jinx anything. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's not like a hundred percent official. There's still a chance it could unravel, but that's the direction that we're moving in.
1: That's really awesome. I own one Bernina machine. Most of mine are baby locks right now, but I, yeah. I do own Bernina. Yeah. Well, um, and then part
2: of that is actually getting my staff trained up as sewing machine tech so that we can fix machines. Um, we, everybody in our shop is really mad for vintage sewing machines as well. I mean, I think like one of the things that happens when you start sewing is just sewing machines start appearing on your doorstep. (laughs) Like I probably, there's probably 20 sewing machines in this house right now. Um, but for a beginner, (laughs) often a vintage machine is the best choice. Like I would much rather have somebody start on a straight stitch rehabbed. 1960s era white singer Kenmore. Um, as long as it's been through service and is functioning properly, yeah, they're going to get a better performance and a better experience out of that sewing machine for around the two to three hundred dollar range than they are going to, you know, a big box store and buying a two hundred dollar machine off the shelf. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah,
1: and I have one of those. I have a Kenmore eight stitch from the 60s behind yeah. me in a sewing cabinet that was my mom's. And yeah, um, when it's when it's been freshly serviced, it is an amazing machine. And as I as I learned to sew, I learned to sew on a nineteen forties fifties era Singer straight stitch only, and it was again an amazing machine. I never had, well, I did have at one point, but I never. I never had as my primary sewing machine one of the featherweights that everybody always talks about in the quilting world.
2: Yeah. But those are, I mean, the the featherweights have got a lot of personality and I mean, and they're also great at what they are that, you know, if you you are are doing like travel, like, you know, quilt retreats or something featherweights are great. But um, the old, you know, the heavy duty straight stitch singers, that's what I learned on too, Jenny, in a cabinet, you know, one step up from a travel sewing machine, it went forward, it went backward. That was it. I was probably nine years old. My mom sat me down with a basket full of um, old jeans and this like black sewing machine. And I, you know, I put, I don't know, you know, eight layers of denim through that thing. I just like, I was nine. I didn't know what I was doing. And then when I sewed on a, on a, you know, less heavy duty machine and I realized that you can't even sew, you know, you can't even have a pair of jeans on some of these entry level machines. I was like, what? Like, yeah. how could that be? This is a new machine. That was an old machine. But, um, yeah, it was I, I really wonky pot holders that my mom had to like treasure and love for many years because I had made them for her. So.
1: Yeah, and those um, the the button holder that you that you attached to the foot, which was amazing with all the neat little coggy things in it. I I yeah. love my old machines for sure. But absolutely, what, they've got a lot of personality. What's the shadow side? What are the what are the unfun parts about being a local fabric store?
2: Yeah, getting I mean finding and getting stock is is definitely a problem. I, I do not. It's hard for me to have this conversation without sounding like I'm being really critical of the industry. I don't love the way that Quilt Poplin is marketed. Um, I feel, I don't know. I feel that it's predatory in some ways and I'm hoping that none of my sales reps are listening to this. And, and, uh,
1: hearing we can me cut trash out anything you're not comfortable with too. You just say the yeah. word if, at the end of the conversation. If you're like, you know what? Nope. I'm happy to cut it.
2: Yeah. So so the the um, quilt poplin is released in um, seasonally. It's pushed. Um, the artists release a collection. It's only printed once. Yeah. Shop owners and customers both know that this is their one chance to get this fabric. Yep. If they see a a print, they kind of it's like I call it like Pokemon. Like you've got to catch them all, kind yeah. of. Yep. If you don't buy it when you see it, you probably aren't going to be able to get it again, um, or no guarantee, right? um but then on the shop owner side those collections are are um pitched to us like 6 months in advance and we don't see the fabric we just see the swatches so, like we just yep. see like our our um our reps give us just like a printed yeah. um, glossy you know folder yep. right that's yep. just got the pictures in it so you've got to commit to purchasing thousands of dollars of fabric well in advance of when you'll see it hoping that it will ship on time on the hoping that it will ship yeah Yeah. And then um, the other part of that is those surface designers, you know, once they've um, been paid for that one collection, like they don't own that intellectual property anymore. And also it's never going to be reprinted. So they only get like, like they get one paycheck for that artwork. I kind of feel like it would be nicer if they could continue, you know, like a, you know, like a book, right? Like it gets reprinted. You get, you get another paycheck from that. So I don't love that. Um, There's kind of a, false scarcity, I would say that's like created yeah. by the way that the industry markets it. So I don't love that. Um, it's, it's a reality. And I, you know, and it works very well for the companies. Um, they don't have to sell fabric that they have. They don't have to print fabric that they haven't sold. So, um, you know, there's not, there's less risk on their side. And I do understand that like committing to a, you know, multi-thousand dollar print of silk fabric is a huge like commitment on their part so if it's pre-sold it's easier for them totally understood but it's not great for the shopkeepers and i don't think it's particularly fair to the artists so i don't i don't love that um let's see what else do i not love (laughs) i mean really that's about it i mean our customers are great um i guess like as a shop owner i should be i should be kind of more honest about the money side of it I pay my employees first, I get paid last. So if we are not, you know, if we're not profitable at the end of the year, I'm the one that takes the pay cut. Um right. So that's, you know, that's also not great. Um there's that's sometimes the I'm definitely working self, for free. Yeah. Self-employment sucks for that, for sure. Yes.
1: And yes. Yeah. Um, and especially as we're moving into a year that has some uncertainties economically. Yes.
2: Yep. Um, we have definitely seen inflation hit the fabric market. Um, we, you know, fuel costs, everything. So most of our goods are shipped in from other countries. There's just not that much fabric being milled in America right now. Um, and so we, you know, we see fuel surcharges and we see, um, tariffs, all of that stuff gets added into our cost per yard. And so, Ask to uh, probably for about the last 2 years every time I order fabric it's about 20 cents more per yard it's um it's definitely going up which is it's a lot so fabric that used to be about $10 a yard is now more like $13 a yard and it happened kind of suddenly um so i am a little bit concerned that we're going to come to a point where people just it you know it becomes more of a luxury purchase um so far, so good. people are seeming to you know people seem to be understanding why those price increases yeah. are happening. They're happening everywhere. So we don't you know, we don't get a lot of pushback about that. Um, and so far our sales say, are steady where you're
1: where you're looking at an industry where a I don't know that it's the majority, but a lot of people who sew clothing are sewing clothing because there aren't other good options. And so even those incremental changes, they have an impact. They obviously impact budget. I buy four to five yards to make a dress for myself. That's just my normal buy. And if it's gone up $3 a yard, that's $12 or $15 for every stinking dress. And that is obviously a big deal. However, on balance, (laughs) the ability to make something that fits me and expresses me, which is something as a fat woman, I find very difficult in stores is... Is really helpful. Although to be fair, I don't think I've shopped in a store in three years. But,
2: well, but you kind of I'm stop, you know, like advertising. I, <laughs> yeah. So Jenny, I mean, you have like you do a lot of fat ad- advocacy, and so you know, I think we're all anybody who follows you on TikTok is well aware of the fit issues that you have with regular clothes. Everyone. Every single person has got fit issues with their clothes. Yep. I'm tall, I'm long-waisted. I, you know, every time I buy a pair of pants, my I've got 3 inches of ankle hanging out the bottom. If anything has busted darts, they're well 2 inches above yep. my bust line. You know, it's like and and what I see when people come in when we have that moment where people come to sewing because they're not feeling supported by ready-made clothing, everyone assumes that it's them. Like, it's almost like I, like I have this moment and I have it many times with people <laughs> that come into the store where they're kind of like shamefully admitting to me that they don't fit into ready to make clothes. And it's just like, I just want to like pick them up and give them a hug and be like, babe, it is not you. Oh no, it's a hundred percent
1: everyone, but it's the nature of the industry. If you're going to build an industry that's based on low wages, exploitive, <laughs> exploitive practices, yes. and in the end has to provide a high volume of clothing that kind of fits most people. Yeah. It's that kind yes. of and most that bite you on the butt. There are very few people who are that specific size chart. And I'll be honest, even with those size charts, I'll buy a thing and I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm rounding up for what size I should buy based on the numbers they placed on their website. And yeah. this really beautiful, loose and flowy dress becomes a, like a sausage casing for me. And I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck are yes. you unable to actually measure what happens yes. here and yes. it's super common but it happens to everyone at all sizes my daughter my younger daughter is petite but with big boobs and yep. <laughs> and as a consequence there's there's very little ready-made that's gonna fit that it just yes. you can't buy a dress if there's a disparity between your chest hips and waist where each of them fit in different sizes you can't buy a dress
2: Well, and also, I mean, and honestly, if you can't buy off the rack clothing, you also can't sew an out of the box pattern, you need to kind of get to the point where you can be a little bit comfortable with altering a pattern. It doesn't have to be like a full on tailoring experience. But, and that's where kind of classes come in and a little bit of handholding from a teacher, you know, reassuring you that it's okay to blend sizes. People feel like, like they'll ask me kind of like, again, kind of like shamedly, like, is it okay if I, you know, do this? Like, yeah, of course. You know, it's not like, it's not chiseled on a stone tablet. You know, this is a starting point and then you have to move from there. So if you, if you're not a sewist and you're buying ready-made clothing buy for the, your largest body measurement. So for me, that's my waist. My waist is the one that's out of proportion with the rest of my body. And then you're going to have to find a tailor to change the other ultimate, you know, measurements of that. If you're sewing at, or, you know, so, you know, change it yourself if you're a sewist, but if you're sewing, out of a pattern, same thing. Find your out of proportion measurement, the one that is the largest, and then you can grade that size that pattern from there. Starting with the biggest measurement, and then picking where you hit on the other parts of the pattern yep. will give you a better result than trying to like size up different parts. But um, well, yeah, the other it's thing definitely I a learning that- experience.
1: I throw that back to the designers because I primarily buy from indie designers. And I literally, when I buy a pattern, I'll message the designer and be like, hey, these are my measurements. They don't look at all like your size chart. What do you recommend? Perfect. Yeah. That's in part because whether they answer or not tells me a lot. And if they do answer, how they answer tells me a lot. And it it can help me make a decision about whether to buy the pattern. Because if you can't be bothered to answer me, I definitely don't feel like there's going to be the support out there for me to make it successfully. Yes. But even if you answer me, if you seem to misunderstand what I'm asking, um, and sometimes the answer I'll get will be like, well, use your chest measurement. The rest of it's free size, fits everybody. And I'm like, oh, no, there's no garment anywhere that fits everybody. Uh And maybe you're misunderstanding. I don't want to Maybe a toga, like maybe like a rectangle that you like wrap around yourself. (laughs) But I'm like, I don't want to fit in the ease. I want the garment to look proportionately on me like it does on a skinny model, I yeah. want it to look, I want the same concept to come through. I've made plenty of garments where I fit in the ease, and they don't look at all like the originally intended garment and they look great. I'm happy with them, but they aren't what I was trying to make. Yeah. You picked it because <laughs> of
2: the style of the garment and that's yeah. what you, yeah, that's what you Yeah, bought. And I ended up with yep. something
1: else nice, but not what I was trying to make, not what was advertised on the package. Yeah.
2: So this is just kind of, I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere, right? But those pattern blocks, um, first of all, a plus size block does not look like, a you know, used to be called juniors. I'm hoping that we're moving away from some of these ridiculous like taglines that we use. I mean, like we, STEAMS <clears throat> is really, we do a lot to try to make ourselves as gender inclusive as possible. We have yeah. female identifying customers that have a more. I'm going to I'm going to use some gender words here because that's like the fashion industry terms. But so we've got female identifying customers that have a more masculine style. We've got male identifying customers that don't fit into regular clothes and want to be able to sew their own clothes. They've had an experience going into probably a quilt store and everybody looked at them like they were, you know, had wings or something because most quilt stores just don't know what to do when a man walks through the door they assume they're there to buy a gift certificate um <laughs> so that's you know that's put them off of sewing so we do have a menswear section um we try not to you know we try not to use those terms um because it just doesn't it doesn't it makes people feel excluded from buying those patterns yeah. if they're you know so like i actually fit better into men's styled pants than I do into women's pants because I'm cylindrical. I don't have a waist waist measurement and my
1: waist measurement
2: is almost exactly the same. And we put
1: genders onto that. But a lot of that is really about body shape. I am three more weird. um, I'm going to go with uh, disordered eating episodes away from being just a cone Um, because, because every time I experience uh, a problem, in that space. And it is absolutely a problem. I end up getting smaller across my chest and larger at my hips. And eventually I used to be a very proportionate, like a palm bottle. Um, but now, now I've become more like a cone and I have this big head right on top of it. So it's super exciting, but it's, but it's a shape, right? And that shape isn't even what's traditionally marketed as women's shapes. It's a completely different shape. And so you end up, you end up in these spaces where the gender doesn't define it. It's it's the proportions that define
2: what you're going to fit well in. Yeah. So so the um, so men's patterns like notoriously are a little bit better about using measurements and stuff than women's patterns. Um, men's patterns are more regular than women's patterns because men's pattern sizing was developed during a time when all men in America had to report for a medical exam for the draft. And so it was very easy to measure a lot of them. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Primarily Caucasian though. So obviously, you know, that's a problem. But, and then women said they kind of tried to do the same thing, but they didn't have access to like the whole population of women, the yeah. way that they did to men. But there's no ideal, like there's no one person that's an actual size six. If they are, it's um kind of an accident of nature. It's all averages so that, you yep. know, like those pattern blocks were designed by putting the average of everybody's measurements into an aggregator and then picking the average of everything. So average bus size, average waist size, average hip size. It's not one person that is actually that size and it's not necessarily proportional to the way that yep. people change sizes when they grow, yeah, I <laughs> so, mean, for, um, it's, it's yeah. all imaginary. I mean, there's like two people that fit a regular, you know, off the shelf pattern, and they're like shocker, they're models because they fit into the clothes. But there's, but there's also an
1: aging component to that, right? Mm -hmm. Because as our our bodies get older, they also tend to change in different ways. And there's some consistency to the ways in which they might change. But because there was no consistency to the way they were before change, it's, (laughs) it it just, it just piles onto the issues. It's, it's an interesting struggle. And it is a thing that I wish I had sort of a local garment sewing hangout. Mm-hmm. Because there are there are things that would be helpful there, although in my experience, in person opportunities to hang with garment sewers are often really fraught for me as a fat woman. There are there are ways in which those don't feel like safe spaces for me to talk about my body and my fit issues. So there's there's oh al- it, it's always felt yeah. to me like there's a shadow side of all of these really great things, but there's still this other part of it where where it just gets. It, it doesn't get quite tuned into correctly. And I like to think that's changing because you can see the yeah. change as indie patterns begin to expand mm-hmm. more and as straight-sized allies begin to say, no, that is unacceptable, that you're not upsizing that, that that's not available for a second block, that all of these things, yeah. those are all really, really great things. But it's still within the last two years, I've gone to a measurement party where no one thought to bring a measuring tape that went above a 60-inch. Ooh. You know, I mean, and... Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah. And, um, I, I have definitely noticed an improvement in the last three years. So we opened three years ago and I would say that most of the pattern lines that we could get, you know, a pretty decent, like I, I, every once in a while, there will be a breakup pattern from a designer that only has two or three designs and we'll get like their one superstar that's blowing up on Instagram. But I really try to go with designers that represent a whole wardrobe of clothes, um, So we mostly, you know, we carry a lot, we carry, I mean, all the, all the big indie brands, but I had, you know, and then for me as a shop owner, having to have that discussion with somebody who comes in, that's not a regular size and saying like, oh, I can, I can teach you how to make this pattern fit you, but this pattern doesn't fit you. And so it just perpetuates that feeling of like personally being inadequate that we have when yeah. we go into a dressing room and we try and close that don't fit us and we assume the problem is us. So I do think that it's getting better. It's certainly not perfect. Um, there's definitely a few designers that have not yet heard the call. And I think it's great that you are applying some pressure from their, you know, purchasing public. That's, that's the person that has the highest pull with um, people who make their living by selling things. Um, And I also, I I appreciate your point about straight allies as well. Um, You know, straight size allies, also straight allies, you know, like we need, I mean, we need uh, pattern companies that are acknowledging that along with the full bust adjustment we might also need a flat bust adjustment, right? Yep. Because there's people that don't have breasts that also want to fit into that pattern and feel. And absolutely. So that hasn't quite gotten there yet. Let's work on size first. That seems to have a little bit of traction. And then we'll push back on some of the gender shaping and the you know uh, gender yeah. vocabulary in sewing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do well, think it's getting better. But it's I, I agree it's not getting perfect. better.
1: It's one of the places where one of the big adjustments I made a couple of years ago was just trying to eliminate bust from my my vocabulary and talk about my chest measurement because yeah. I think the chest measurement is is the relevant non-gendered term mm-hmm. to yeah. improve improve the number of people who feel welcomed in because that is it's critical for the future of sewing. We're we've been enjoying a renaissance. I think some of that is pandemic driven, but there's yes. been a renaissance <laughs> in sewing. However, if you want that renaissance to continue, if you want people to continue to support it, you've got to be inclusive. You've got to welcome as many people as possible. It is it is unendingly disappointing to me to see big names like big names in couture sewing um, that are folks who've edited Threads magazine, people who've been involved in like really big things over 30 years of of sort of modern sewing conversation, who still end their personal patterns and their classes that they teach around those is at a size 20. And I mean, a big four size 20, which obviously is, uh, is not expansive. Um, the, the, The point my daughter is always making about it, my petite younger daughter is that, that parts of her measurements barely fall within that range. And this is not a person that this is a very solidly straight sized person. There's no, yep. there's no, there's no doubt that that is a true statement. And myself yes. having the privilege of having a chest measurement that often falls in straight sizes, I don't fall in a 20 and to yeah. see shops that welcome these people with thousand dollar classes to learn to teach something. And when you reach out and you say, Hey, I'd love to take the class, but mm-hmm. the pattern doesn't include me. And the answer is, Oh, they'll help you grade it up, honey. And it's like, I, you're not, you're not going to grade up 12 inches that, I mean, that's not grading up. That's drafting. That's a completely different thing. (laughs) That's I I hear you, but it isn't grading up. It's literally drafting. And that is, that is a great skill. It's a skill I'm, I'm learning, but it isn't the point. Right. The the point is if you want to be welcoming, you have to refuse to teach that class unless it's more size inclusive. If you, if you want To actually welcome people into it. If you're, um, if you're teaching classes at all, you have to be aware of how trans people and non binary people would experience that class. Because if you are using gendered language, if you were, if you are misgendering the attendees, if you are not acknowledging body differences that are based on those really baseline truths about people, how do we continue the profession
2: yeah i mean i see even on on like um social media where an owner will open their um their facebook live and say like hey ladies let's get sewing and you're like okay (laughs) bye i mean you just left
1: out a whole shit ton of people and if you can't anyway it's very frustrating um I'm sorry to have taken us down this wild tangent, but I am excited to play it for our listeners because I know if there's anything Punk rockers likes, it's a conversations about the way that the sewing world has changed, but the ways it's still yeah. falling down.
2: Yeah. Um, so and the other, I yeah. mean, the other population that I find, so we do have, um, I mean, I've got, Almost half my staff is trans or non-binary. We do sewing nights and we have um, really dedicated trans and non-binary sewists that attend those primarily because they feel safe and welcomed in that space. Um, They, you know, they know that when they come in to talk to us, we're not going to push them, you know, I'm not going to assume which, which pattern section they're going to be pulling their stuff out of, you know, we're careful about pronouns, Um, and just, you know, things that make people feel respected. The other population, frankly, that is not, um, supported by the sewing community right now is men. Oh, Um, for sure. And so (laughs) we, um... And size bias is still
1: significant in patterns that are designed and marketed as men's patterns. My husband is a plus-sized man, and Mm -hmm. finding men's patterns that work for him and his body and his measurements is really flipping tough. And that's a place where I don't think there has been nearly as much progress as there has been for women's patterns.
2: Nope. Nope. So we've got, um, you know, family members who are sewing for a partner, who can't who who doesn't sew themselves but who is having that same problem of not being able to find clothes um you know just like a button down and some khakis right and so yeah. like you know as a man once you get above a size 50 chest measurement you're not going to you know you're basically yeah. sweatpants and a t-shirt is what most you know what what's what what available you know you you yeah. know you can't you're not taken seriously the way that other people are if you show up in jeans and sweatpants as your only yeah. options So we've got men that want to sew for themselves. We've got partners that want to sew for their partners that don't fit into regular sizes. And I haven't seen the progress on the pattern size for that yet. Um, You know, so like if I'm, you know, as a, as a woman identifying individual that basically has a female body other than not having a waist um, I can probably, I can go out and find six different jeans patterns that essentially look like jeans. I can go and find, you know, three different kind of high waist, um, wide leg, you know, chino type pants that I can show up in a professional environment and look, you know, off the rack. Um, people aren't going to question where my clothes came from. That, that kind of, um, pattern support yeah. is not available in menswear right now. Um, which also means that, like, you know, a butch styled woman also doesn't have, um, yeah. pattern support either so that's that's a part where i'd really love to see the industry go we kind of occasionally in store i mean i've got i'm one of those people that's like my ideas in my brain just like are constantly playing pong with each other so you know i would love to um do some kind of non-gendered pattern line you know in my very copious free time after i open a second store um way down the road but i mean i'd love to just i'd love to see but the reason that we it keeps keep coming up within our staff is because we're not seeing somebody else take on that project so um i don't have to do it myself i just want somebody to do it um to really kind of address this idea of just like functional wearable flattering clothing that is not attached to some kind of gendered style. Um, and I think we've got, I mean, we've got interest in it. So I think that if somebody really took it on and took it seriously, that it would really sell well. Um, we would certainly support that effort. And I know I've got customers that would be interested in that as well, because we we are constantly having to kind of, um, that same way that I'm uncomfortable when a larger sewist comes in and I say like, oh, I'm so, you know, like, oh, I wish that I had, I wish that that designer had, you know, uh, um, as a shop owner, it's frustrating and I understand it, but a lot of shop owners that are going plus size are doing it PDF only. So, and it's a way for them to, um, I mean, and you know, paper and printing costs and all of that stuff is expensive and it's a, it's kind of a cheap way for them to do extended pattern testing because they don't have to invest in the print costs and they can more easily edit the PDF as feedback comes back from people. If there's errors or sizing problems and stuff like that. So maybe hopefully once they get through that like initial testing phase that will be in paper and I can have it in the store, but I hate to, you know, when somebody comes in and wants help with a specific garment, I hate to send them online and say like, Oh, that pattern, you know, that designer only has extended sizes than PDF. Um, cause it also means that I can't sew through it easily. So I can't stand by the pattern. Um, cause yeah, I haven't, no one sewed good. It, so, um, but it's a, you know, it's a reality. It's an, it's a financially driven reality. And I understand why that's happening. Um,
1: but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but better, better things ahead for sure. I really appreciate the time you've taken to sit and chat through all of this with me, Jesse. And oh, cool. I, love receiving boxes from you. So I I definitely Excellent. continually sort of check in to see, to see what can um, fuel my
2: next binge. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we've got, we're doing our January clearance right now. So we're really trying to regain some shelf space to bring in some more exciting stuff. Oh, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you'll see more, more things in our catalog that you can't resist in the future. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Oh my
1: gosh, wasn't that a great chat with? yeah hopefully you guys really enjoyed the conversation with jesse it went really far ranging and it was really great to hear what the what the pluses and minuses are of owning a shop and then we just sort of tumbled into fat bias and gender bias and sewing and ways in which that shows up and what can be frustrating and what's changing in the world so it was uh it was it was a really great thorough conversation i thought and we appreciate y'all At this point, we'd like to remind you that if you want to sponsor our podcast and you have something you're willing to offer worldwide, so a PDF or something you toss in the mail, please contact us on Instagram or at punkfrockers at gmail.com. This is not something that we charge anything for, um, but we do talk about your product on each episode. And uh, that goes out to, well, we get at least 1500 downloads a week. Um, And in addition... Beverly noted, and we didn't mention in the last episode, so it's time to call it out again, that we've had over 100,000 downloads altogether, which is really exciting as well. Um, In addition, if you'd like to support us, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash punkfrockers. Um, Our Patreon gifts, uh, the big gift that we did for the year, just went out to all of our Patreons um, as we're recording this, which means as you're hearing this, Hopefully some folks will have opened up their packages and thought they were worthwhile enough to photograph and tag us on Instagram. If not, I'll I'll cry the biggest tears. Um, (laughs) I put so much effort in. No, it was, it was really fun to pull some stuff together. Beverly, uh, Jim and I all worked really collaboratively on getting it all together and making sure it could go out for folks. Very excited by that. Um, Is there anything else we need to mention at this point or is it time to say see see you next Tuesday. Tuesday? Punk
0: Rockers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frockers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art.